Genesis chapter 15 this week. And there's just a little section in the chapter where Paul um, talks to the Romans and he almost apologizes a little bit because he wasn't necessarily the Romans shepherd. He wasn't necessarily the Romans pastor. And so if you've been here for any part of our Romans Bible studies, you'll know that Paul uses some pretty bold speech, some bold language. And in chapter 15 of Romans, he kind of says, hey, hey, I don't mean to be too, you know, too harsh with you guys. And he kind of commends them. He says, I know that you guys are full of knowledge. You know the gospel. And he says, you're serving one another and you're able to admonish one another. That's, that's great. And then he, and then he kind of does a little bit of apostolic, apostolic, uh, if that's apostolic, whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> apostolic, thank you. Um, defending a little bit, but in love and in a good way um, to show that he has a right to speak these things. And he begins to brag a little bit. Now, normally bragging isn't good, um, but you know that the scriptures say, if I boast in anything, uh, I'm going to boast in my God and that I know God. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ, Paul would say. And just here in Romans chapter 15, there's this, this uh, verse 17 through 19 um, that says, therefore, I have reason to boast or reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. And isn't there anybody here who, who's known the Lord for any period of time? You know, you can think of reasons to brag about God, reasons to boast about God and to declare his goodness. You know, and, and he says, I wouldn't dare to speak of anything that Christ has not accomplished through me in word or in deed to make the Gentiles obedient. I wouldn't dare to boast in myself or even in another man's labors for the kingdom, but I boast in the Lord and his faithfulness and uh, and his uh, power that came through and, and preached the gospel to the Gentiles, bringing about an obedience in them. And so we're just continuing this theme in our 242 Together Nights of worshiping the Lord and, uh, and declaring his faithfulness and bragging about him, boasting in him, glorying in him. He, he wants all the glory. You know, he's all about the glory. And that's the end. That's the end of it all. Um, even beyond us being in paradise with our Savior and with our beloved friends and family who know Christ, uh, that even in and of itself isn't the end. The end is God getting the glory and the worship due to his name. And so uh, we're going to have... Um, my cousin Justin come up and he's going to share his testimony and i um, excited to have him brag about God tonight. So come on up, buddy, and you can use this stool that I'm sitting on. I do have an outline so I don't get too winded like, you know, some people might get, you know. <laughs> so make sure I stick to that outline. <laughs> uh, that, no, not naming names there. Well, uh, if, if everybody didn't know, I've, I've been at the church about almost two years, my family and I, and uh, again, Justin Rogers, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about, you know, my history and, and my upbringing. Uh, um, I was born in Klamath Falls, Klamath Falls, Oregon, uh, to a, into a farm and ranch family. Uh, 
I, I shouldn't say the year because it'll make me feel pretty old, but 1977, so what the heck. <laughs> it's a ways back, but, um, but I've been blessed. And uh, so my parents, my mother, uh, pretty much a stay-at-home mom uh, with us kids, dedicated mother, you know, raised us. Uh, we're kind of a blended family, lots of brothers and sisters, and even had some uh, orphan kids there for a while. That was pretty neat. And so my mom was pretty much dedicated. She did the bookkeeping for our, our business, uh, our ranch and farm, and then in the later years, construction. And, and my dad was dedicated on the farm and ranch and, and kind of raised us kids to, to be the same. Um, some great childhood memories I can think of were probably at a really young age. Well, shoot, even with Rory, a cousin's out on the, on the ranch. I mean, just going out together and doing the manly stuff, you know, uh, the branding calves and working cows together, riding the horses. It was just kind of fun. I remembered that a lot at, at our grandpa's place out in Poe Valley, uh, where Rory lived there for quite a few years. And, and as well as myself, we and my brothers and would go out there and spend a good amount of good time with our family out there. Other times were just, uh, you know, those hunting memories with my, my father. Uh, my first gun was, you know, a 22 and we'd go out in our place and, and just, uh, spend time out in out in the wilderness and outside together just really uh hold that close to my heart and and i was pretty much i was born in a christian family we were we were baptists and which isn't always bad but sometimes you don't get that personal relationship with the lord and and when i was young i you know i felt lucky to be sheltered i guess or at least having a good upbringing and parents that um knew the lord so that was great but i just felt a yearning or a longing for something i just wasn't sure what it was you know at a pretty young age um my education um, I was really lucky to be able to uh, um, get through college. Uh, I went to a community college just out of high school, got a two-year degree in business, and then went on to Oregon State and got a uh, four-year degree in ag business and, and also specialized in animal science and range management, which helps me today in my current position. I'm really lucky to have a great job here in Primeville with the Bureau of Land Management. It's been kind of a, a great deal for me and a blessing for the Lord to provide that for me and, and for my family. Been there with, with the BLM for about 10 years. Um, and then my family, my lovely family's here, and uh, uh, Jill back there, my, my wife, uh, and my two lovely kids, very blessed, Lucas and Lauren. Lucas is four and a half, and Lauren, she's just four months old, so very blessed there to have them here tonight, and then and just in my life, and it's just, it's a blessing. Um, my wife and I, we actually met, it's a pretty interesting story, I'll try to tell it pretty quick, but we, uh, uh, my first, probably my first job with the BLM, just getting out of college, I had to finish up some of my uh, degree work, and I uh, took this internship, really cool, because you get a chance to be getting out of college and get out of the state and get out of town, so I, I took this uh, research job over in, uh, it was in Montana, just, it was actually for, it was at an administrative site for the BLM on a wild horse range up in the Pryor Mountains, and the closest town would be Lovell, Wyoming, about 100 miles east of Yellowstone. And just got to do a bunch of different um, research um, projects over there, basically uh, looking at horse herd uh, dynamics and visitor impact over this um, BLM-managed horse range, uh, and got to meet a bunch of different people in the research field for horse genetics and, and animal science. And, and then, you know, along, along came um, Jill, my wife. She, she'd been working up there in previous years 
um, as a seasonal. And, and when I took this job, they said, hey, why don't you call some folks up or, and ask about this internship? And so actually the first person I talked to was my wife. And, and we just kind of hit it off on the phone. It was cool. And we talked. And then we ended up uh, meeting at uh, one of these um, wild horse gathers they had up there. And it was actually an interesting time because it was near the uh, 9-11 incident. And so we, uh, our helicopters were grounded, and it was really weird scenario to have all the operations stopped. But you know, a time of mourning for our country, and it was a very tough time. But um, it was just a special year because I met my wife, and in those in those circumstances too. But uh, so that was kind of the story how we met, and and you know, the rest is history. Um, um, I guess like like the fallen condition, and how did I know I was a sinner? To me, I really didn't know. I guess until. I got a little older, and and I kind of saw, you know, I guess looked up to any of my my uh, mentors, like my father or um, anybody that I saw that was walking in Christ. I realized I was missing something, and um, for me, it was it wasn't about Christ when I was younger. It was for you know personal gain. Um, I guess I lived for others people's satisfaction and didn't realize that, you know, you, you, you had to look up, Lord, you looked up to the Lord and not to, to people for satisfaction. You know, I was really, I think, a selfish kid, uh, not always honest, didn't think of others. And, um, you know, I was really bad for being the sneaky sibling, obviously. We had lots of brothers and sisters, and I seemed to always get them in trouble, like, all the time. And so, to me, that was a really... Uh, Probably not a nice thing, but maybe they deserved it too. So, <laughs> but uh, really, my walk—I uh, really found Jesus. Uh, I think when I was probably around the age of twelve, when I remember, I remember these certain events where I just—I uh, um, just was broken down emotionally. And the one thing that's going to stick on my mind, I think, for the probably the rest of my life, is how I really—I um, went to this. Basically, um, I got invited to this. Uh, it was a. Uh, Oh, an outreach, I guess, is what it was, and and it was an evangelistic outreach, and and who spoke there was pretty interesting. I don't know if anybody's heard of Dave Reaver. Maybe raise your hands if you, yeah, evangelist, father, has grandchildren. He's a Vietnam veteran, and he was decorated. He finally got the Purple Heart, but he went through some really horror, horrific events. He was he was a gunner basically in the Vietnam. Uh, a gunboat gunner. Let's see what's called a actually. Uh, let's see a riverboat gunner with the navy actually, and he was um, throwing a grenade and a sniper. They're basically trying to clear these mines, and a sniper shot this grenade, a phosphorus grenade, and it blew up in his face and just totally just burned him beyond recognition. And and it was just, I mean, to sit there and hear a story like that just devastates you. And and you know, at that age, that I mean, that just br- brought me to tears. I'm just like how he didn't have Christ and, and through these struggles, you know, um, how he, he came to Christ and realized that his life could be over. I mean, he went through so many surgeries and, and grafting, and, and, but, but it's amazing um, what that can do to somebody to see those struggles in, in someone's life. It can really bring you close to the Lord. Um, I think, you know, since I've been saved... Uh, Man, I tell you, it's definitely not not easy task at all. I mean, once you're saved to to walk in Christ, that's why we need to really bring each other up immensely. Um, I think kind of one of the biggest struggles is hard for me to talk about with folks, but is really kind of a testament to uh, my walk with the Lord is kind of how I deal with struggles. And one struggle I really have been tough with me, tough lately is... uh, well, not just lately, but in the past years, too, is a learning disability. Actually, and Rory probably doesn't even know this, but um, 
in college, I was diagnosed with a pretty severe learning disability. It was uh, basically ADHD. It was a short-term disability and uh, a verbal issue where I couldn't, you know, I had to um, have books on tape auditorily. And it really just, you know, I remember something that sticks out in my mind was in high school, this uh, counselor would say, you know, you're not, what's wrong with you? You're getting bad grades and you, you just, you got to get it together and you shouldn't be going to college. You know, you're not smart enough. And I just remember that uh, really stuck out in my mind. I'm like, you know, you know, I have Jesus. I have Christ. I'm stronger than that. And, you know, if you have Christ, you can, you can prevail through anything. And so that just motivated me to really uh, just, you know, just work harder, you know, just work so much harder. And I think through the through the years, I've been able to kind of cope with that and, and take that weakness maybe into a strength. So kind of, yeah, it's kind of a tough thing to talk about, but it's it's good that I think uh, I have uh, recent years to be able to talk about it and, and improve on it. So, And then uh, what vision has God given me for reaching uh, people around me? I think first, um, the motivation to continue to be a, a witness and serve. I mean, um, I think I do my best here, and it, I enjoy serving uh, this church family. I, you know, I do communion here, and I usher. And gosh, any, and, and if anybody in this family ever need anything, just let me know. I mean, but I just want—that's been on my heart to uh, doing that. And uh, um, my spiritual gifts, I'm kind of working on those. But I think uh, in past years, I've really enjoyed. I've been in, in a lot of music. I was kind of raised in a musical family. And so it's been put on my heart to maybe be doing that more in some capacity. Um, I think also, too, I relate well with people. My job now here at the BLM is uh, pretty much just a people-person type job. You have to really negotiate, be a conflict. You have to um, resolve conflicts, uh, just really work with people. And and I'm hoping and praying that God can continue to use me in, in that avenue to, to to share the gospel there. And um so, and then lastly here tonight, I'd like to actually share a couple verses I was reading as I was looking through my testimony here and, and just hope that uh, God can put some things on your heart as he did with mine. Uh, if you want to turn with me, you can there. The first is First uh, Corinthians. And these are just verses that were put on my heart, spiritual motivation and courage uh, through any struggles you might have. First is Corinthians. Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. So this one really just popped out to me. Um, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yeah. And then the second one here, I'll read it real quick, was from Isaiah twelve two. goes an open blade someone's gonna get hurt <clears throat> it's not my foot i'm good <laughs> um isaiah 12 to uh, behold god is my salvation i will trust and not be afraid for yeah the lord is my strength and song he also has become my salvation yeah so uh with that and those words i just uh just uh hope you guys can take this piece i've said tonight and uh maybe help help in your lives too as well so uh thanks appreciate it yeah Amen. So I had lived here for about, 
I think I had lived here for a year when I got a call in like September from Justin and he was like, hey, he lived in Elko, Nevada at the time. And he was like, hey, we want to come over and look at houses. We're praying about moving over there. And uh, that was just neat because, you know, we grew up together. And so, um, and like he was saying, you know, when we lived out on the ranches, our lives were not all about Jesus, <laughs> you know, and um, it's cool because here's a BLM range manager and I can say his life is all about Jesus, you know, and we're like serving the Lord together and um, they're in our 242 group and our core group and um, and one other neat just testimony is my dad uh, passed away uh, 11 years ago and uh, that was about the time that Justin's dad, uh, who was my dad's oldest brother, um, who, who had been known, you know, to have kind of a lukewarm life. And I remember hearing some of his employees, ah, oh, Rick's a hypocrite and blah, blah, blah. And somehow, like, right after my dad passed away, my uncle Rick um, just, like, got set ablaze for Jesus and uh, had a construction company in the ranch, and he leased the ranch out so that he could serve at the Calvary Chapel down there in Klamath. And, um, uh, and uh his just life became all about Christ. And now, the same year I moved over here to pastor over here, Uncle Rick moved down to Quincy, California, and pastors the Calvary Chapel down there in Quincy. So God's doing great things in the Rogers home. And there's, uh, you know, we have probably 20, I want to say 25 cousins amongst the Rogers cousins. And the Lord's doing a work in them and uh, so when you think of the Rogers, don't just think of me, think of Justin as well and the mission field that we have with our family and, and uh, we're kind of taking over. <laughs> so um, I don't know what's going on right here. <laughs> she won't behave, okay. Um, Kenny and Carrie, will you guys come on up? You can come up together. I got two stools here for you. I got one with a little thing for your notes here if you want that, I don't know. And... Uh, Kenny's a total sport. Called him last night at about, was it five o'clock or am I being generous? That's a little generous. Okay, <laughs> 9.30. And uh, praise God, both of them wanted to share their testimony today. So. I thought it was, he needs to give people a little bit more time. <laughs> so this is like the one thing I would have never thought I would do would be in front of this many people talking for one. Um, I'm a big crybaby. I was hoping Justin would at least just have a little tear so I didn't feel so silly up here. But. He's my sensitive man. So with that, I wrote, kind of like Justin, we, I think we had the same kind of outline going on, but I wrote everything down. So if you don't see me looking at you like Justin was, that's because I'm reading and I didn't want you to see me crying. So. <laughs> um, I was born in Visalia, California in 1969. Uh, my family, when I was younger, we moved around quite a bit. You know, I lived in Texas, Georgia, Florida, back to California, back to Oregon, you know, back and forth. Um, when I was nine, my parents got divorced. And shortly after, my sister was born. <laughs> so, so that was kind of strange, I thought. You know, now I really think it was strange. But um, So I never had a dad in my life from the time I was nine until... My mom passed away, which was about 10 years ago, and then my dad uh, decided he wanted to get back in our lives, which I, I really struggled with for a long time. Um, some of my fondest memories growing up were with my mom, of course. Um, 
you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but whatever I wanted, my mom made sure I got. Um, you'll hear um quite a few times too, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I got into baseball when I was six. Um, that kept me, you know, around positive influences in my life. And I think um, I had a coach, his name was Coach Knoyer, his name was Travis, um, who kind of took an interest in, in all of us the same. And now that I look back on it, it was more, more on me because he knew my situation growing up without a dad. Um, I played baseball all the way through high school. I can't even find my place in my notes now either. <laughs> um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was invited to the Beaver baseball camp. So I went, and, and you know, um, the coach back then, I can't remember his name. He was quite a bit older than the coach now. Um, he said I had great potential, and he'd like me to come back the next year. So my mom remarried um, my sophomore year of high school, and I was a rebellious kid anyway, not, you know, not having a dad around. So um, they moved back to California, and I didn't go. I said, I'm staying here, and you're, there's nothing you can do. You know, just a total rebellious kid. So uh, that was the summer of my sophomore year. My junior year, I had a place to live. I had a, a job that paid my rent and gave me just enough money for food to eat. Um, then I started fighting in school. That's, I started getting in quite a bit of trouble. Uh, my junior year, I got kicked off the baseball team. I got expelled from school. Um, not only from the high school in Cottage Grove, which there was only one, I got expelled from the entire school district. Um, there was a private Christian school that had just started the year before. So I ended up going there because that was my, my one promise to my mom was that I would graduate, that I wouldn't drop out. So reluctantly, <laughs> I'm going to this Christian school where I knew nobody. Um, my best friend, that part I forgot to mention, um, you know, in, in between the moving back and forth, I had one pretty good friend the whole time who was a pastor's son um, who also went to the high school. And when he found out that I had to go to the Christian school because of all the trouble I, would, I would, was in, um, his dad brought him out there. So I, I had a friend then, you know, so, um, so prior to that, I grew up, you know, my mom made us go to church. We went to a, a fairly... I don't know how to say it. It was like a holy rolling Pentecostal church. The pastor was 80 years old and could outrun you down the aisle. I mean, it was, he was quite, quite the character. Um, so, you know, I, I had that influence in my life, but um, I don't know why. You know, I never accepted it when I was younger, but I didn't. You know, I kicked, <laughs> kicked and fought it until recently. Um, after, I, after I 
that my junior year in high school, I, I went back to the regular high school, finished out my senior year. I graduated early, um, which was kind of odd because it was right before baseball season started too, I thought. But um, my counselor told me probably the best thing for me to do would be to join the army. So that's what I did, um, which straightened me up quite a bit because I found out in the army that I wasn't as tough as I thought I was in high school and that there was plenty of people that there that could whoop my butt. Um, so I think that straightened me out quite a bit. When I was in the army, um, I was stationed in Oklahoma for a little bit. And then I got into a special weapons test group and they moved everybody I was in basic with. They brought us back together in what they called a cohort unit and moved us to Fairbanks, Alaska <laughs> in the middle of winter from Oklahoma. <laughs> so I, I think the Army, you know, it straightened me out quite a bit and kind of molded me into who I am now in a, in, kind of in a way. Um, for the past... Well, Mackenzie did it for a year. She played baseball and decided that that wasn't her deal. Um, so I, I coached her for a year in baseball, and then I've been coaching Riley since he was in T-ball. Um, and that's that's like one of the one of the things I really like to do. Um, you know, my my work schedule during baseball season is pretty rough. So last year I didn't coach. Michael Gish actually drafted the team and was going to coach. Then he got called to California on a job. So um, one of the head Little League guys called me and said, you know, if, if we're going to have that team, instead of splitting them up, you're going to have to coach. There's nothing else we can do. So I coached again, where, you know, working 60 hours a week and trying to have practice with the boys. <laughs> and, um, I, th I think the reason I enjoy doing that is to... Um, kind of give back what I got out of it. <laughs> I'm skipping like this much. <laughs> um, so, okay, so this is my wife, Carrie, in case anybody <laughs> didn't know. Um, my kids are in the back, Mackenzie and Riley. They are 17 and 12. Um, I met Carrie. Actually, I'll go back a little bit. When I got out of the army, I had I had plans to redeem my baseball self, and I actually moved to Albany. Couldn't afford the rent in Corvallis, college town. <laughs> um, and I had only been back, you know, out of the military for probably three months, and I was living with my best friend and his wife, Andy, the pastor's son, <laughs> um, and I was working at bowling alley, and Carrie comes in. <laughs> I'll back up even a little bit before Carrie came in. So uh, living that close to Corvallis, you know, I wasn't really in the mindset of going to school. The Army was going to pay for it. Um, but what I did find out was Corvallis is quite the party town. And, you know, I was big into the party, and that's what got me in trouble in the first place with all the fighting. Um, so those plans kind of went out the window. So now we'll get to the bowling alley. <laughs> um, I don't remember what day it was exactly, but... So there's nobody there. So I'm going to say it's like Easter, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's very few people bowling. Um, so Carrie and her friend come in bowling, and they're the only ones there for quite a while. And um, the people who own the bowling alley 
gave us kind of a, it was an unspoken rule that you you could, you know, if I give you a free game, your friend will bowl a game, and then they'll pay for a game, and then you'll pay for a game. So, it, you know, it kind of would work out. So, unbeknownst to me, I gave them one free game, and they left. <laughs> um, so, it was, you know, half hour later, I get a phone call at the bowling alley, and I'm the only one there. There's not a soul in there but me. You get quite a few prank calls at the bowling alley. I'll just let you use your imaginations on that one. Um, hangs up four or five times. <laughs> I mean, like literally, like one minute right after the next. So the, about the seventh or eighth time, I finally said, you know, who is this? I'm, you know, if you, if you have a question, you know, we're open. If that's what you want to know, you don't have to talk. And she goes, she goes, uh, uh. <laughs> I was the girl that was in there just a little while ago, and she said, do you remember me? And, well, of course I remember you. The only ones that have been in here all day. <laughs> um, she says, well, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I'm not doing anything. What are you doing? <laughs> I said, I get up at five. You know, we'll go to dinner or lunch or whatever. And we end up going to a movie and then to the bar. Um, So I'll read what I wrote on here since it sounds a lot better than what I just said. <laughs> it says, I worked at a bowling alley for a while, and that's where God put Carrie into my life. Even though we weren't following the Lord then, I see that she was put in that bowling alley just for me. Um, you know, and I, last night I was thinking, trying to put an exact, like an exact time period, this whole timeline thing. So my writing's a little bit jumbled, so I might be going back and forth quite a bit. Um, before I was saved, um, I thought that everything in my, my life revolved around me and what I wanted. Um, what I could do for me, what I drove, what I had. And I couldn't figure out why everybody else wasn't wanting to be like me. You know, I, My best friend was a pastor's son, and he, you know, Thankfully, he kept me grounded for most of my that time period. And we're still pretty good friends. He lives in Tumalo. Um, I, worked, I worked hard at work, but on the weekend, I partied harder. I was living for me and nobody else. Especially, I was basically a prideful, self-centered jerk. You can ask Carrie. I even wrote that down. <laughs> um, and my mindset was, if you didn't like it, that's your problem. You know, I'm who I am, and... You should be like me. I, don't, I shouldn't have to conform to the way you want me to be. Um, as you can imagine, that caused some major issues in our marriage later down the line. <laughs> um, so Carrie started going um, to a small Bible study at the library. I think there was only like four of them going, or five maybe. Um, then she'd come home and try to talk to me about it, and I always would you know, go in the other room, turn TV up, whatever, and, you know, just try to... I didn't want to talk about God or any of that stuff. Um, the, the small Bible study kind of outgrew the library, and they moved to the Ridgeview Commons, which is kind of behind Bymart. And at that time, I think there was like 15 or 20 people going. Um, so Carrie would come home, you know, all excited. You know, these, this, we have all these people. You know Kevin, and I didn't know who Kevin was from Adam. Um, all these new people are coming, and and all, she's excited about what God's doing in her, and, and I didn't want to hear it. Um, I, 
I tried my best um, to avoid talking with her about any of it because it would always lead back to why I wouldn't go with her. You know, I, I never did go, ever, to any of the smaller Bible studies. Um, then, of course, Calvary Chapel started. You know, now there's 35, 40 people, so um, Ryan moved to the middle school, and I finally relented to Carrie because it was, it was just getting to be such a strain on me and having her nag, why wasn't I going, and, and you know, why won't you listen to me? And um, So I started going just... And this is, I actually wrote this, to keep Carrie off my back. I would go every once in a while. And I think that's, um, that's when God started working on me. Who was there. And again, I wrote, not sure of the exact time frame. Daddy was two when we started going. But... And I'll have to go back to reading. It says, the more I came, um, the more I felt God was doing some kind of work in me. Um, the church moved into the building by Arctic Circle, and I became a more frequent visitor. And um, it's kind of weird, you know, looking back, thinking about this stuff last night. If, if I missed a Sunday, there were 10 people called me before church was over, and I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of strange. You know, <laughs> Carrie's not even home yet, and 10 people have called me wondering where I'm at. Um, I wrote there's too many people to I can't list it for fear of leaving somebody out but there was a lot <laughs> um, so I started to see myself almost ashamed of who I was um, and what I was doing so as I started going um, more and more regular um, you know I'd talked to Ryan a few times and just kind of let it roll off my shoulders or whatever. And one day I got off work and he called me out of the clear blue. And he, he said, Kenny, you want to go have coffee? And I said, you know, I don't drink coffee. And he says, well, let's go to the bagel shop. It's right here. So we go to the bagel shop. It's closed. <laughs> so we ended up in Ryan's office and we had a, you know, a heart to heart. And uh, I think last night, you know, trying to think about it, I, that, that's when I, I really think that, that God got a hold of me was in in Ryan's office. Um, I just wrote down, and that's when everything changed. Um, it, it was like two weeks later, we had a baptism out at Sean and Trisha's house, and Ryan called, and we had another you know, two-hour meeting in Ryan's office with me bawling and, and him talking. You know, I never said a word, I don't think. And um, that's when I recommitted my life to the Lord. And the creek was cold. <laughs> and I felt bad for Ryan because he was in there for quite a while. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I was still struggling with a lot of stuff inside. You know, I, Carrie will tell you I'm not one to, if I have a problem, I usually keep it inside and try to deal with it or whatever. Um, But I felt forgiven of all the stuff that I was doing when I was doing it, you know. And it was... Something that I had never felt before. So even though I was raised in the church, <laughs> and I talked to Andy, you know, uh, Mackenzie actually went with me. Um, I, and Pastor Craig, his dad, was there. And I said, you know... 
I know we, we thought we were getting away with all this stuff and going to church and sitting in the back and cutting up. And he says, you know, I, I knew everything. And he says, I, I've, been, I've been praying for you since I knew you. So now, now when I miss church or discipleship group or home group or any of that stuff, I feel like I'm lost. You know, I go home and I'm like, I'm like, why didn't we go? You know, we could have been late. We would have been just walking in the door. You know. Um, so when I when I start feeling like that, you know, I I talk to Kevin quite a bit, um, chat occasionally. can't even read my own writing. Um, so <laughs> my own typing. <laughs> so, so now I'm just going to read it right off of here and hopefully it makes sense. Um, and now that God, God has in my mind, looking back on it, made me a new person completely compared to what I was. I find myself um, genuinely loving people, not only my wife, but other people. See, <laughs> um, do I struggle? Yeah, I still struggle every day. Um, but through God's grace, I see it and I try to correct my behavior through praying and confessing to others. So I started to list out some of this stuff and then I decided that we didn't need to be here till next Sunday. So um, I'll just name off a few of them. Uh, where'd it go? I can tell you right off the top of my head. Um, I've, I've found myself lately, and I, you know, it's God convicts me. I've been short with Carrie. I've been short with the kids. And um, daily at my work, I'm, I, and this is, I talk to Kevin about this all the time. Oh. At work, I'm presented with opportunity to talk to people about God, and I just, you know, I can't, <laughs> I don't have that boldness to do it yet, so pray for me on that one for sure. Um, but in all that, God is working on me daily. Um, I can see where I was, but it looks a lot better where I'm going now. Um, I'm thankful every day for the saving blood of Jesus and God's grace that saved me from myself. So, um, I should have wrote down your outline on here. That would have helped me a little. <laughs> um, I've been trying to be obedient to where God's want me to be, and it's been a, a big task that I struggled with for quite a while. You know, I, some of you know I did sound for quite a while, and I just didn't want to be back there because I, you know, I felt like if I messed up the words, people are looking at me. <laughs> I was really self-conscious about it. Um, you know, so I'd, I'd started praying about it about a year ago, probably about this time last year. Um, so leading up to where I'm going, we went to dinner at Ryan, Ryan and Andrea's house one time and, you know, we'd got done eating and Riley was still fairly little. Um, I got down on the floor and was playing with Caitlin and Mackenzie and Carson, who was smaller than Riley then, um, and Andrea out of the clear blue looks over and she says, Kenny. She said, you have a gift with kids. You ever thought about doing children's ministry? And I went, uh, no. <laughs> uh, 
I actually wrote down exactly what I told her. Uh, so my response was quick and immediate. What I said was something like, yeah, I like kids in this situation one-on-one, -on -one, but no way could I deal with that many kids all in that, that kind of capacity. What I was really thinking in my mind was, you must be out of your mind. <laughs> um, it wasn't until recently, you know, I'd been praying about it. Um, we went on a, there was a bunch of people from church. We went camping Memorial Day. Um, everybody who was there had kids, you know, that were all from McKenzie's age all the way down to, I think Zeke was probably the youngest. So he's like two. Um, so we get back from camp and everything's going fine. We go to um, discipleship. I'm usually one of the first ones there. And um, Kevin, Kevin says, Kenny, he says, have you ever thought about doing children's ministry? He says, you have a gift with kids like I've never seen. And I, I'm, I start crying. <laughs> you know, I almost fell out of the chair. Um, that's what I wrote down too. <laughs> so since then, I've been with the third through fifth graders. And I love every minute of it. Um, about two weeks ago, what I thought was going to be a little meeting between Anthony and Chad and I about, you know, teaching strategies for the kids and, and other things. So I, I meet them for coffee <laughs> at the Book and Bean. Um, Chad and Anthony approached me with um, taking over the children's ministry you know, taking over Anthony's position in the children's ministry. And, and I, you know, the first thing I thought was, there's no way, you know, that was me talking, you know, there's no way I can do that. You know, I've got so much on my plate at work, and working tons of overtime and scheduling, and that's not my deal. Paperwork, obviously, I can't even read my own typing. <laughs> um, so I told him, you know, I'm going to pray about it. And, you know, we've been in Arizona, and, you know, we went on vacation over Christmas, and um, I talked to Anthony a little bit tonight. I I, I really think that's where God's leading me. Um, is to accept the responsibility of leading our children's ministry. Um, they can be a little trying at times. You know, you always have the honoring one that you got to sit in the corner. <laughs> uh, so last night after I talked to Rory, before I started actually writing, I, I'm not very good at quoting scripture, but I can remember the verses. I just don't know where they're at. <laughs> so... So the scripture came to my mind and I was, I looked for probably half an hour. I got our uh, commentary out, looked through the commentary and I couldn't find it. I tore our study Bible up, couldn't find it. So I get out the little Bible, you know, the little one that you can't hardly read. And I open it right to it. And it's um, what I'm going to leave you guys with tonight. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, for I know, I can't even read it. <laughs> um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I thank God every day for that. It's your turn. My story is a little bit different. Um, I was born... Um, in February of 1969, in Bend, um, I tend to talk fast and don't know that I'm talking fast. So Kenny will tap me if I start talking too fast. Um, born in Bend, moved to Primeville when I was six. Graduated from Crook County High School in 1987. Um, high school was a great time for me. 
um, had a really good group of girlfriends. Julie Erickson was one of them. Spent many a days at her house. She spent many, many a days at my house. Parents knew each other, went on camping trips. Um, I told Kenny if I had known him in high school, would have never touched him. <laughs> Didn't party, was involved in sports. Just um, got good grades, just kind of, and I had really a really good friend support there with, with just a, there's five or six of us girlfriends and we just kind of hung out together on the weekends and did our own thing and just didn't party or anything like that. Um, started going to Missionary Baptist Church when I was um, in middle school. Julie went too, went to a camp there and um, well, I would say we were there about three or four days and I just could not stop crying. I just was like bawling every day. Couldn't figure it out. My heart hurt. I mean, I really physically, my heart hurt. It ached. Well, one of the leaders pulled me aside. He says, you're being convicted. And I'm like, what? He says, you're being convicted. And I knew at that time that I knew that's what was happening to me. So I, I accepted the Lord at that time and um, um, haven't always followed the Lord after that. Um, graduated high school, went to... Um, College and Bend at COCC. Um, I got a free grant for two years. Um, went my first year. Could kick myself for not going my second because it was free. Um, kind of started going to some parties in college. Not a lot of parties. Um, lived with one of my best friends. Um, then, um, I want to say 1990, um, one of my friends um, had gone back east to Philadelphia to be a nanny. Well, she was getting ready to come home, and she asked me if, if I wanted to take her place. Um, so I thought about it and thought it would be a good experience for me. So I went back to be a nanny for a year and a half and never been away from home. Cried the entire time on the airplane. Met my host parents in Denver. They probably thought I was a basket case. I was going to take care of their child. <laughs> um, it took me a long time, about three months, to start meeting people. But all my girlfriends back there were au pairs. Um, started going to a local YWCA um, for a volleyball class they had um, twice a week. So met, um, two of my friends were from Finland. One was, one was from Denmark, and one was from um, Germany. So we started hanging out together, and we were all kind of in that party phase. I was only 20 years old, but had a fake ID. So we would go out Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights and close the bars, um, dance, you know, do our thing. Um, one night we went out, and I was a designated driver, so it wasn't, wasn't uh, drinking, and we decided to leave. And this gentleman had been hanging out with us all night, and he seemed like a nice guy. And none of us were involved with him. He was just hanging out with us. So we went to leave, and all my friends got in the car, and he started walking to his car, and he'd be, he was completely obliterated. So I offered to give him a ride home, and he gets in my car with all my friends, and he passes out. So I just had to take all my friends home first. <laughs> as soon as I dropped my last friend off, he woke up. So he dragged me to his house got to his house, parked in like a parking area that was kind of dark, and he proceeded to not let me out of the car and rape me. I didn't even hardly know the guy. So ended up reporting it to the police. Went through that thing, and the police said, with him waking up right when I dropped off my friend, and the route he took me to his house, 
it was planned. He planned it from the beginning. He knew what he was going to do. And it basically, I fought him, and he just overpowered me, and I couldn't do anything about it. So I got the police involved, didn't have any of my family there. My host parents were wonderful. Um, went to the preliminary hearing and all that. And, of course, by the time, I, after the preliminary hearing, I came home. And it had not come up for trial. And I, uh, they called me to come back, and I wouldn't go back. I came home and started my life here. Um, and I just didn't want to rehash that. Um, there's a great amount of guilt for not going forward with that. But I know now part of my healing process and all that is forgiving the offender, which I have done. Um, but after that, I moved um, back to Corvallis because um, all my friends were going to school at OS- OSU. I decided um, I wanted to be there, not necessarily to go to school, um, but I wanted, didn't want to be back in Prineville. Um, being a victimized like that kind of put me in a downward spiral um, where I didn't care about myself. I didn't have any self-worth. So I was partying a lot and was with a lot of different guys um, through this whole process. And now I see it took, it took me um, forgiving this. this it, I, I, it's not been, it's probably been five, six years since I've forgiven him, but that's, that, it took that, for my healing process to really begin. Um, I hate to say it, but I was kind of still in that phase when I met Kenny. Um, he was too. Um, uh, but I can honestly say that um, we're, we're still on a first date. We never broke up. And I can honestly say he's my only love and my first love as, as far as man and wife go. Of course, God's my first love, but he's my first love and my only love. You know, I thought I knew what love was, but you don't. Um, I lost where I was going here. Um, Kenny and I got married. At, well, Kenny and I started living together two weeks after we started dating in Corvallis. We were going back and forth to Albany and Corvallis, and we decided it would be easier if we just lived together, both financially. Um, then we ended up getting married, and... Um, Maybe backtrack a little bit. Um, Kenny um, would tell me after we had dated for a year that he always wanted to be with me, but he never would marry me. Um, of course, because he never told you this, but his mom and his dad both had been married and divorced four times. So he comes from a long line of divorce. And my family, my parents have been together for, um, it'll be 44 years, 43 years this year. And my grandparents have been together for 68. So um, there's just a really strong um, marriage bond in my family. Um, He told me he would be with me forever but would not marry me. Um, At that time, it was okay. But I knew in the long term, it wasn't going to be okay because I wanted to be married and have kids. Well, one day out of the blue, after dating for about two years, he asked me to marry him. Um, Of course, I said yes. Um, then um, we, shortly after we got married, um, Kenny proceeded to talk me into having a kid, <laughs> which is unusual for a man, but it is. <laughs> but he did. And then Kinsey, when Kinsey was born, um, she was born in December. We moved to, back to Primeville in February. Um, I was basically um, a stay-at-home mom. Um, Kenny was working. He first worked at um, 
wood grain, and then he got a job at Les Schwab. Um, I was staying home with Mackenzie. I stayed home with her till she was two. Um, and then I got a job um, working at Les Schwab Tires. Um, worked there for 13 years. Um, quit two years ago because um, the main office moved to Bend, and I stayed working at the main, working there for two years, but it was a 55-hour week away from home, away from my kids, um, feeling like they need, needed a parent there at all times. Um, so I, I opted to talk, we talked about it, and I opted to stay home and take care of my kids and my family. And It's been tough, it's been tight, but um, I know this is what God, where God wants me, and this is where I need to invest my time. You know, um, looking back, if I um, didn't do this, I mean, uh, not keeping my kids in the right direction versus monetary is just, I mean, you, you, your choice is your kids always. Um, started going back to Calvary Chapel when Riley was two. Um, and uh, I've been going there ever since. Been working in the nursery about that long, too, for about 10 years. I was nursery director for a while, but I was that's while I was still working at Les Schwab, so it was a little too much for me. Um, so Barb took over. Um, She's asked me if I would be interested in doing it again, and I've been praying about it, and um, I'm still praying and haven't completely made my decision up. Um, one thing that I've struggled with terribly in life is um, anxiety and um, worry. Um, I, and just, I think I get this from my mother. My mother worried about everything, and I worry about everything. My husband tells me that I worry about things. I'll find something to worry about if there's nothing to worry about. Which is probably true. And then also along with that, if I'm worried, I think everybody else should be worried too. Um, so I get really edgy, really on edge. Um, I really have recently just been waiting on the Lord and seeking the Lord to really, really live in his will um, for my life. And to um, just really trust in the Lord for everything. For pr- provision, guidance, for everything. Um, that's my New Year's resolution, by the way. <laughs> um, one of my favorite verses is, um, um, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that's Matthew 6.34. And I really, it, it's really showing me to focus on each day and not worry about the next day. Um, just count your blessings every day. Um, and... Uh, just really rely on the Lord for everything. Um, and that's what, basically, that's what, what has really spoke to my heart tonight, or recently. You done? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just thinking... Um... Christian at best, you know, what, yeah, what would you just, if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking through you right now, what would you say to someone here who is in that place where you were at? Um, even though you don't know it, there's people praying for you, and it does work. Well, and I think one thing that I really have noticed from my experience um, in Philadelphia is that I 
after that, I went through a really bad time, didn't have a lot of self-worth, was out doing things and, and going places I shouldn't have been. I know now that the Lord was always there protecting me because I, I got myself into some situations that were not good. But he was always there, and, and I can really see that now in hindsight. I thank God for that every day. He never left me, even though I was doing my own thing. <laughs> 